future-proof gold with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Evolution is constantly adapting us to our environment, making species more suited and better equipped to survive in their natural habitat. So why did our distant ancestors have better teeth than we do? And what can a study of our gnashers tell us about our diet, our oral health, and our very origins as a species? Well, Professor Peter Unger is a paleoanthropologist and author of Evolution's Bite, a story of teeth, diet, and human origins. He joins me now. Peter, why are our teeth so hard and so unlike the rest of our body? Well, your teeth are unlike the rest of your body because they are 98% mineral. They're made up of a mineral called hydroxyapatite. And uh, essentially, they are, they're the hardest part of the body. And they have to be because they've got to break down food. And food is essentially organic biological material just like the rest of us. So they've, you've got to have a harder tooth than you do whatever it is that's being eaten. But, how, I mean, how do we create that mineral in our bodies or is that a molecular sort of a question do you know what I mean because it seems like we come from you know we eat food we don't eat anything hard and then we get hard teeth it just you know I mean I know bones and stuff you know they they calcify I understand some of it but um, what, what is the process by which we get this really really incredibly hard material well, basically, we eat food that contains hydrogen and oxygen and carbon, and uh, we digest that food and, and basically break it down and then put it back together chemically to form this hydroxyapatite, this crystalline structure that's extremely hard. Um, this, um, the fact that these, these teeth are very hard make them very good for us to do diagnostic stuff with, as you do. That's correct. In fact, uh, because teeth are so hard, they preserve in the fossil record in a way that most other parts of the body just simply don't preserve. Before we get into um, the evolution of the teeth, I wanted to talk about the the sort of weirdness of them uh, as as a sort of an object in our mouth. So um, one of the things I was fascinated by was a an x-ray of a, a child getting their baby teeth. And that really f- flew up a whole lot of questions for me. Why do why do we not reproduce teeth over and over again, or why do we not have a single tooth and keep it for the rest of our lives? Do we know? That is a fantastic question. It's really two questions in one. Most mammals actually have a single tooth replacement, right? We've got baby teeth or milk teeth, and we've got adult or grown-up teeth. Other vertebrates, animals with backbones, tend to have uh, an innumerable number of teeth replacing one after another after another. When they wear or they break or they get holes in them, it's no problem. We just basically replace them. Mammals don't do that. And we can't do that because we have to chew. None of the other vertebrates chew. They just basically open and close their mouths to capture and contain prey or whatever food it is that they're eating. But we have to chew to break down food. And in order to chew, you've got to have very precise relationship between opposing upper and lower teeth. That kind of a precise relationship is only possible when you don't keep having to put new teeth in one after another after another. In other words, the adult teeth have to, have to form this, this incredibly precise uh, interaction between the two of them, which is only possible uh, if, if they're present throughout most of life. And, and you're absolutely right. That it is an extremely precise thing, isn't it? The, the, this uh, mashing that we do with our teeth. Um, and and it, this type of eating completely informs the shape and strength and position of our teeth. 
Absolutely. And in fact, you rarely ever think about it, but your teeth come together in a manner that's precise to a fraction of a millimeter. Uh, if you actually start to think about it, uh, if you or any of your listeners have ever had crowns put in, you'll notice that uh, sometimes those crowns don't fit precisely, and it actually hurts to chew. And you've got to go back to the dentist and have those crowns ground down just a little bit to to have a more precise relationship between the opposing teeth. That's the level of, of detail that we're talking about here in terms of uppers and lowers coming together. And of course, the strength in our jaws um, that comes from the muscles, uh, they are expecting that force in a particular position. And if you don't, you, you, you can uh, crunch the teeth that aren't supposed to be chewing. Uh, and, and, and actually, our, our mouths have evolved to be very perfect at this job of biting then chewing. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely remarkable when you stop and think about it, right? Your teeth have to chew, have to break food up to millions of times over the course of your lifetime. And they have to do it built from the very same raw materials as the foods that are being eaten. Just just imagine anything that has to break something millions of times without being broken. Uh, and the relationships between opposing teeth have to be precise in order to do this. It, it also informs the, the shape of our jaw. Uh, and and how long our jaw is. And this has changed over time. That's right. Uh, In fact, um, part of the problem in terms of our orthodontic issues, uh, I would bet that that some of your listeners, probably all of your listeners, have one of three different issues with their mouths, right? They either have impacted wisdom teeth or their wisdom teeth haven't come in at all. Their upper front teeth jut out in front of the lower front teeth rather than coming edge to edge, or the lower front teeth are crowded or pushed together slightly. That's because our jaws today are too short for the size of the teeth that we have. And that's uh, an evolutionary consequence of our not eating what we evolved to eat, basically. So, um, A, how do we know that? And B, what do we use to eat that we don't eat now? Those are both good questions. Uh, We know this because if you look at traditional foragers, hunters and gatherers today, if you look at prehistoric people that we find in the archaeological record, their teeth are perfectly lined up. They've got all three molars in the backs of their mouths. They've got uh, a perfect arch in the front of their mouth, and their upper and lower front teeth come together precisely tip to tip, like a chimpanzee, like like nearly every other non-human primate species out there. And the issue is, is actually fairly straightforward, right? It's all because bone responds to, to use, right? Uh, if you start to think about it, as your jaw is developing, you load it when you chew. And the more you load it, the more the, 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 the bone grows, the more the jaw grows in length. If you don't load your teeth enough, your jaw won't grow long enough to accommodate those teeth. Now, unfortunately, your teeth themselves don't respond to the amount of loading that goes on. Teeth are entirely genetically determined in terms of their size. They're predetermined. Your jaw is not. It 
its ultimate length depends on use. What? So if you don't use it enough, yep, exactly. The ultimate length of your jaw depends on how much you use it when you are a child. When you say right? length, I mean, um, you're talking about from, uh, you're talking about the bottom part of our, our jaw? From your chin to the back of your jaw. So, uh, so th- that's not determined by genetics. That's something that you you sort of exercise, like almost putting on weight or 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 you know putting a six pack. You do that through childhood. So if I fed, fed my child rocks, for example, for the first you know five years of his life, he would have a super long jaw. Absolutely, but like everything else, the ultimate length of your jaw is 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 determined by a combination of genetics and environment. Right. right. The genetics are predetermined, but the environment determines whether or not you reach that ultimate potential. Here at the University of Arkansas, we have some buildings that are a couple of hundred years old, and the doors on those buildings are quite low. It's not because the people who worked at this university 200 years ago were genetically shorter than us today. It's because they didn't reach their ultimate height potential because of the the nutrients that they got, because of their their lack of nutrition. It's the same way with the jaw length. You do have an ultimate potential, but whether or not you reach that potential depends on the environment in which your jaw grows when you're a child. I know I'm, uh, we, we should be moving on, you know, in, in a technical sense, but I'm still fascinated by this. How, how, how big of a variable are we talking? Because, you know, we are really, one thing I've learned about um, from this show is that we are really hypersensitive to changes in people's faces and, and the variance of it. Like, how big a difference could you make in someone's jaw by, by giving them the most dense food that didn't, you know, crack their teeth versus feeding them the sort of baby food slush that we feed our kids now? It's the difference between having those third molars, those wisdom teeth in and functioning like other teeth with some space behind them and having your front teeth not crowded together and having those issues. It could be as much as half a centimeter, even a centimeter. Wow. Um, So you look at human remains, uh, specifically teeth, and try and figure out what people were eating and and people's lifestyle as a result of that, right? Um, What can we learn from dead people's teeth? We can learn a great deal about their diets from their teeth, among other things like their developmental patterns and, uh, and, and things of that nature. But what I study is essentially diet, and we can get at diet in a number of ways. We can look at the shapes of teeth, and that tells us what uh, a species has evolved to eat. We can look at the microscopic wear on teeth, which tells us something about the the physical properties of the foods that those individuals ate on a daily basis in life. We can look at the chemistry of the teeth, which tells us something about the chemistry of the food that was eaten when those teeth were being formed. And um, do we then, when you look at the teeth of people hundreds of years ago versus thousands of years ago versus now, who has the who has the the best, strongest, healthiest teeth? Well, I would say that thousands of years ago uh, is is when we get the the healthiest or best teeth. If we're talking about things like not being riddled with holes and and having the teeth come in uh, in a in a precise and uh, and perfectly uh, arch like manner, there there are um, people who are um, completely outside of this. Um, highly sugar, um, low impact eating, zero foraging lifestyle that modern people live in the West and, and increasingly in in uh, developing countries. There are people who are almost isolated from uh, any sort of 
development in that way. Do they have fantastic teeth? That's a really good question. Uh, one of the research groups that I work with is called the Hadza. They're the last remaining hunter-gatherers or foragers on the African continent today. And when I look at their mouths, I see beautiful arches. I see upper and lower front teeth that come together precisely. I see I see a, a, a mouth full of teeth. Those, those wisdom teeth are in and they're functioning and they're beautiful. Their teeth are riddled with holes, but that's largely because they spend so much time eating honey. Um. There is a lot of talk about the sort of diet that we have and that, you know, uh, previously, you know, human beings had a much better diet. Now, that's it's almost unarguable, but uh, people refer to this thing as the paleo diet. From your work looking at teeth, uh, is there a perfect diet for human beings? In a word, no. Um, the problem is that, that we are evolutionarily a work in progress, right? When you talk about the paleo diet... The question that I would ask is, which ancestor? Who are we talking about, right? Um, we've evolved over the course of millions of years, and, and we can't identify the diet of any single species precisely. And not only that, but a given species lived in different places at different times, right? The, the individual that was living by the lakeshore probably had a different diet than the one living uh, at the river's edge, uh, which, who had a different diet than the one living in the open savanna. Um, the fact that, that our diets vary over time and space makes it really difficult to identify any single paleolithic diet to which we should uh, aspire. Right. When we look back in those history, in the history of teeth, do you find um, evidence of early cavities? Like, how did people deal with, you know, broken or infected teeth in the old days? Was it just knock it out with a brick? <laughs> Oftentimes they died. Um, there are a few cases of fossils that had really bad gum disease and 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 really bad teeth. That's actually really quite rare. In most cases, uh, the teeth of our ancestors were, were, were perfectly fine, just as, as the teeth of living chimpanzees are today. But in those few cases where they, where they were bad, um, before just a few thousand years ago, there really was no, no option other than to either knock the tooth out or die. Finally, um, is there anything that we're doing? Because we always hear about you know the, the bad things that we're doing with our teeth, but is there anything that we do with our teeth that is actually... Uh, really good for them, but it's almost counter counterintuitive. Going to the dentist. Um, our oral health has improved dramatically over the past few years, largely because because of dentistry, because um, we're getting a lot better at caring for our teeth, because we're now beginning to uh, understand in, in, in a more precise way what we can do to preserve them in the mouth despite the fact that we're not eating the kinds of foods that our teeth are designed to eat. So I would say that, that, that dental science is beginning to catch up with uh, what, we're, what we've been doing and, and putting in our mouths. Um, one interesting observation is the fact that some dentists are actually beginning to take an evolutionary perspective to treatment. Right, the traditional approach to dealing with having orthodontic issues is to yank teeth out, put wires in, and straighten straighten the jaw, uh, or at least straighten the tooth row. Now, what what dentists here, at least in the U.S., are starting to do is they're starting to put spacers in the jaw to grow the jaw length to accommodate the larger teeth, rather than pulling teeth out. And that's a much more natural and evolutionarily reasonable approach to treatment than the previous one. Um, and and so uh, as a as a take home, 
for for people at home who may have children, should we be putting some chewy stuff in our young children's food, or is that a dangerous thing to do nowadays? <laughs> well, I'll I'll answer that question with a with a short story. My when my daughters were young, I kept pleading with my wife not to cut their meat so finely with a knife before feeding it to them. Um, and that was simply because I wanted to save on orthodontics bills when, when they got older. My wife's response was essentially, you know, I'd rather have them have to pay for an orthodontist than, than have them choke on their food and die. I, I lost that argument. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that seems reasonable when you think about it. Uh, Peter Unger, author of Evolution's Bite, a story of teeth, diet, and human origins. Thanks very much. Thank you. Future Proof Gold with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.